interviewed Saja Hindi, a local reporter in northern Colorado. She specializes in political reporting, which got difficult for her during the past election season because Saja is an American Muslim. When they talked in mid-February, Saja was working for the Loveland Reporter Herald, which is a sister paper to the Longmont Times Call, the paper that Karen works for. In today's episode of the Chingona podcast, Karen and Saja talk about the importance of local journalism, Saja's experience as an American Muslim reporter during the 2016 election, and how her appearance affects the job she's trying to do. But before we begin, I want to emphasize that Saja does not want to lead you to believe that everyone treats her terribly. She understands that people are curious and may not know what to say sometimes, but she's open to answering questions about being an American Muslim. Saja Hindi was a teenager when the attacks on the World Trade Center occurred. This played a role in her decision to become a journalist. I thought it was really important, especially at that time for me, um, because 9-11 happened when I was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like there were a lot of misperceptions about Islam and kind of having to demystify it a little bit. Um, And I, you know, I always saw myself as a news reporter because I thought, that that's the way you reach people. You show them the facts and then you hope that they can come to their own conclusions right. that way. Let them make um, up their own minds. Exactly. And and can you tell me a little bit about, so you are Muslim, right? Um, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like after 9-11? I'm sure you get that question all the time. Sure. Um, so. It was it wasn't as difficult for me as it may have been in some some parts of the state mm-hmm. or some parts of the country. Um, I I grew up in North Carolina, lived there my whole life until I moved to Colorado. I lived in Georgia for a couple of years, but that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> so you know, in high school, it was it was different. People might might make some sort of derogatory comment, but for the most part, I felt like I had a pretty good support group and a good support system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, for me, the newspaper stuff, like we kind of talked about in college, was kind of this base where, you know, everybody was good friends and we were all there for the same reason, and I think that helped a lot. Um, I, I think it got... It really kind of hit home for me... Um, a couple of years ago, so in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, three students um, were shot in their apartment, and one of them was my sister's best friend, and the other was a good friend of mine's younger brother. Mm-hmm. And watching kind of the coverage unfold from a different side yeah. um, was kind of eye-opening for me um, because we, you know, I was close to the family and more so through my sister, and we kind of we heard the real story, and I feel like there were a lot of nuances that weren't really touched because people just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of gave me, I don't know, more of a, more of a direction for, in terms of like how I need to, to help people see what, what the different types of reporting should be or, and not necessarily to sway the story. I mean, I still believe in the facts are the facts, but I think sometimes the facts were overlooked. Mm -hmm. 
During the most recent presidential election, Saja says she noticed a difference in the way people treated her while she was out reporting in the field, specifically while she covered rallies for Donald Trump's campaign. I was so used to not being part of the story. I mean, that's what you're taught in journalism, right? right. You're in the background, you're, you're watching, you're observing, but you're never part of it. Right. And all of a sudden, I was part of the story without making myself part of it. Mm -hmm. And so I, that, was, that was really interesting. Um, Donald Trump came to a couple of different rallies in northern Colorado, and I covered those. And you could see whenever he talked about Muslims in America, people would kind of turn around and look to see what my reaction was. And I'm like, yeah. If you were going to be like writing in your notebook, shaking. Yeah, exactly. Like, really right? like, what is she going to do? Or when I would interview people, they would kind of take a step back sometimes and, uh. and be like, you're, you're a reporter? For what? And so that was always, that was always interesting. I think when I first started reporting on politics in Loveland, even completely separate from the election, I think some people, I was probably the first Muslim that they never met. Mm -hmm. And so initially they almost don't know how to react. I come in and I start asking questions and sometimes I would get, wow, you speak really good English. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's the only language I really speak. So there is that. Right, like where are you from? Yeah. North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, no, people did not understand that response either. So, I mean, it's interesting. I think it's a, it's a learning experience for a lot of people. And I think you have to kind of cross that bar barrier and get people to trust you before you can really do your job. Mm -hmm. After a lot of those campaign rallies and that sort of thing, I would just have to come in and kind of debrief with my support system or debrief with people in the office who were always very supportive. Right. Um, it got to a point where the rallies were continuing a lot and I was getting some pretty nasty comments on social media that other reporters would be like, we're not letting you go to that alone, we'll come with you just mm -hmm. in case. Mm -hmm. And we weren't expecting anything to happen, but you never know. Yeah. I mean, I think that you never really expect something to happen until it does. And so it's really about just kind of su surrounding yourself with people who you know know you and trust you and understand kind of what you're going through. Just for some context, reporters do face threats. Karen is familiar with it from her work on the border in the years following the Mexican drug war. She's talked about how back in the Rio Grande Valley, the police department was regularly asked to send an officer to the newsroom after a reporter received a threat. Since she's become a journalist in Colorado three years ago, Karen's co-workers have occasionally received death threats also. As for Saja, other than receiving some interesting stares, she says that people aren't rude or threatening to her face, but they do make their opinions about her known when they can remain anonymous as is the case for many journalists. So, you know, I cover politics and a lot of times I'll go to these meetings that are very intense. Mm -hmm. uh, one time I covered a Tea Party meeting because they were hosting a city council candidate forum. And the next day, my editor got several calls that said, can't believe you sent a Muslim reporter. I'm unsubscribing from the paper. Right. And it was, some of them were through RH line, which right. is, you know, our anonymous. people can, yeah, people can call in anonymously. So you don't actually know who they are. And so I think the comments that come in anonymously are, are a little bit more vicious than they would be in person. Right. You know, people talk about how Twitter brings out not the best in people, right. and so you would write a story, you think it's very balanced, and you get just like these 
remarks about how terrible you are and how much of a leftist you are right. and things like that. And I think, I think that was difficult at first, but I also had, I had a lot of support. I, you know, would start tweeting these comments out because I'm like, well, if you, if you're going to say it, then you obviously don't care if other people see it. Right. And I got a lot of support from especially women journalists. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, that was really important because it, it showed that, you know, this is the stuff that we kind of deal with on a daily basis and mm -hmm. we're just trying to do our jobs. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and then you tweeted something that I thought was super interesting. Um, just the kind of journalists in general need to, um, you know, be careful about the way that we talk about different different types of people and you tweeted something that that you know just said media including television and movies need mm -hmm. to need to depict Muslim people as whole people and not always cast them as is sort of the villain or or you know the other the other yeah. yeah so I mean what would you say people listening to this can do to kind of combat those types of perceptions yeah. I think that's always been a little bit of a frustration of mine is that somebody might might hear about one Muslim or meet one Muslim and they think they're an ambassador for the entire religion. Or mm -hmm. A lot of times people will say the Muslim community. Well, it's not really a monolithic group. You right. know, there are different people who think different things, who believe different things. You and don't so, know each other. Yeah, exactly. We don't all have some kind of network where we know everybody who is here <laughs> in America, you know. Um, so I think it's really important to to be able to differentiate and show different aspects. Mm -hmm. I think that I really hate the term moderate Muslim. Right. I don't what know what that, that means. means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, does that mean that the religion is bad and if you're moderate then you're an okay person? Like right. I, I don't I don't really you don't say moderate Christian or moderate Jew. Yeah. And so I, I think that there there needs to be kind of a shift in how we report on things. Um, the other day I read something that said the person appears to be speaking Arabic. Well, you either do or you don't. Right. Um, or has some Muslim documents. Like, I don't carry around anything that says, <laughs> I am a Muslim, you know? Yeah, so you don't have a card. <laughs> yeah, so what, is, what does that mean exactly? Right. So I think we just need to be cognizant of that sort of thing. Um, I know there's been frustration from people that automatically when someone commits some sort of crime or act of terror, they are labeled a terrorist only if they're Muslim. Mm -hmm. Whereas automatically, if it's someone else, there's already questions of, oh, maybe this person is mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And so I think that needs, to be, that needs to be addressed. I mean, to me, a terrorist is a person who commits an act of terror. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, does, it, does it only apply to certain things? Like, so I think that's something that we also need to be careful about and more aware of. A lot of times, too, I feel like if I'm the only person, only Muslim they've ever met, I am kind of an ambassador for the religion that I never signed up for, I never asked to be this person, yeah. but they expect that. And so I'm always very careful, too, when I'm, I tell people, you know, if you have questions, that is fine. I would rather you ask me questions than assume, but remember, I am one person. Right. And so not everybody else is going to agree with me. I mean, not everybody else might think the same way, but I would be happy to clear up any misconceptions that you have. Right. And so that's that's kind of an ongoing discussion <laughs> that I never thought I would be, and I always thought, you know, I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to be behind the scenes, mm -hmm. but now I'm kind of in front of it, whether right. I like it or not.
Karen asked Saja how she handles people giving her false information about Islam while she's reporting in the field. Saja explained that it can be a struggle finding the balance between being a reporter that was required to tell all sides of a story and being a regular person that knows when certain information is false. One time while Saja was covering a meeting, a man told her that the only reason she had her job was because of her religion. And because Saja is a professional, she continued to treat him like any other interviewee in spite of his claims. But it's moments like this that do eat away at her when she thinks back to them. And I was actually listening to a, an NPR report by um, reporter Asma Khalid who covered the who covered demographics in the election. I heard, and some woman didn't want her on her yeah, yard. So right? she, yeah, so she yeah she started yelling at her to get off her porch. Um, but she she said something that really struck with me and that I felt a lot. She said, you know, sometimes after the after those encounters when, where you haven't said anything because you're trying not to be part of the story you almost feel humiliated that you didn't stand up for yourself with someone who's questioning your entire existence. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me because a lot of times I'm like, well, you know, I can't say anything, but I wish I had. Mm -hmm. Or there are little subtle comments that you're like, I really should have responded to that. But you're also trying to do your job. Also, in case anyone was wondering, Saja does not wear a hijab. She used to, but... She recently made the decision to remove it from her wardrobe. It, it, it was something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And for me, I think that the hijab is a personal decision. I think that, you know, you, each person can decide whether they want to wear it or not. And I think that especially in this political climate, people just automatically assume things about you if you wear it. And I, you know, I will defend your right to wear it, absolutely. Um, I, I decided that since it wasn't something that I felt was required, I could do, maybe I could do the best work if I wasn't wearing it. And I don't want to say that that was, you know, the only reason. Right. But I think a, a lot of factors were involved, and I just, I decided that... I wasn't going to wear it anymore. Right. And, I mean, did your, how you interact with strangers change? Um, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there were, there are a lot of times where I'm, I'm walking at night outside after a meeting and I'm mm-hmm. kind of like looking around and just making sure. And I will, yeah. I will get longer stares. And I've noticed recently that that's not always the case anymore. I mean, I, I walk in and I kind of, for the most part, blend in with the crowd, which is very different. But how do you deal with that walking in and having people's heads turn around? And, and, and my brain sort of works overtime, which I try to stop it, but I, <laughs> I start thinking about what they're all thinking. Right. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about, like, the, the vicious comments that we get or the things that people will complain about but I've also kind of received the opposite reaction from people it was who really want me to know that they are they appreciate that I'm there or that they're glad I'm there um and I think I think that helps a lot to kind of think of that and remember that and and for me sometimes I I even have to envision like a shield like yeah like I (laughs) yeah I agree with that I mean you're there to do your job you're there to to get the story out and if don't like it well that's too bad but yeah I mean I think 
I, I do want to say that I have gotten a lot of support from people too. It's, you know, it's not, people who vocalize how much they don't want you there, I would say for the most part are in the minority. Then there are people who just don't know better. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess it's just a, a big learning experience for all of us. <laughs> how does it feel being the new, what is it, enemy of the American people? Yeah, the enemy of the American people. It's, <laughs> it, it's so crazy to me, I'm still kind of trying to process it, but you know, I've always seen journalism as, I mean, journalism is run by the people. We're here to yeah. to share people's stories and to kind of explain what's going on in the world. We're not, I've never gone in saying, this is my agenda and this is what I'm <laughs> gonna write the story about. Like, I barely have time to, you know, write my story as <laughs> is. I'm not gonna sit here and try to brainwash people into thinking something. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the funniest thing is people talk about the media like there's like some sort of like secret cabal under DIA. It's like you realize that most of us have trouble just like getting ourselves together in the morning. <laughs> like <laughs> I wish we were that organized, but we are not. <laughs> I mean all the I mean all the journalists that I know anyway are just sort of barely keeping it together. Right. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing with main mainstream media, I guess, is right. the term that everybody is using. But you know, we're not we're not out to push a certain story. We're here to tell everybody else's stories. And right. I think I think it's really important also to notice that, you know, this is what this person thinks, but also here are the facts. Right. Which shouldn't be negotiable, but Right. Because there are there are facts and we're trying to give them to people so exactly. that they can sort of if you're going to argue, you should at least both come from a base of facts, right? A foundation. Absolutely. Do you uh, know, I think I told you, but like um, what the term chingona means? I uh, looked it up online when <laughs> on your website. Yay. So, yes. <laughs> um, do, do you know any chingonas personally that you look up to um, in your life? Just women who sort of hold it down, <laughs> despite a lot of... Yeah, um, she's, you know, not a reporter, but honestly, a lot of, I feel like a lot of my strength comes from my mom. Yes. Um, you know, she, she immigrated here legally when she was in her late 20s, and it's, it's a really hard thing. It's a hard thing to come from knowing, to just come to an entirely different country and just start over and you know both my parents did that and I I don't know that I could have done that I mean they they came in and they integrated into American society immediately I mean they already spoke English and they had a lot of the same ideals but I feel like they they came in and they did a lot of good work and they were very much as we were growing up saying you know you need to do you need to do things for your community. And so community service was a big thing for us growing up and, and helping others and serving others. And and I think they've, they've also really gotten involved in interfaith groups and things like that to try and dispel a lot of the misconceptions and open up dialogue. And it's a different way than we're doing it in journalism, but it's also kind of the same concept. Like here, let's let's talk about it. Let's, mm -hmm. let's have, a discussion about what this means and what the facts actually are. Right. Because it's really hard to, to hate a group of people when you meet someone from that group and, like, 
like I said, they're just a person. Right. Like, exactly. Even if even if the lowest common denominator is like, oh, you like the Beatles, I like the Beatles. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, I can't. Sometimes when I hear people saying like, oh, immigrants are, you know, not integrating, I almost want to be like, let's just. How about you move to like, you know, even an English speaking country. Like, right. Go. How about you go to Australia and just sort of figure it out. Like, yeah. Exactly. Just. <laughs> Just, just come on in and do it. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, and then I talked to her. I talked about her a little bit, but Asmahal from NPR. I just think that hearing a lot about her experiences on the campaign trail and just all of the things that she did, yet remained this objective, great reporter, was really inspirational for me. And um, I mean, what would you say to just women who? are just trying to I think you're a really great reporter like I, that. I really you. admire you um what sort of advice would you give to women who are trying to make it in the news business or just whatever sort of field that they're trying to be the top dog in I guess I think it's really important to just keep at it I think that there are going to be days when you're questioning why in the world you did this and I had a couple of those during the election season where I'm like, does anybody even care? We're throwing these facts out and people are still saying we're lying, you know? Right. And I think it's really important, A, to have that support system and B, to remember why you're doing it. I think it's really important for us to focus on getting the facts out and getting people's stories out. And then they're going to have to come to their own conclusions. We can't, we can't make anyone think a certain way. You know, I think journalism is really important for democracy, despite what people are saying these days, despite, um, despite having surveys saying that, you know, we're terrible people or we're out, we're out to, we don't, we obviously don't do this for the money. We don't do this. Yeah. We don't do this because we have some sort of agenda. I mean, maybe some sort of groups do, but I think the majority of us are just out there to, to get the stories out. Mm-hmm. Since this interview, Saja has started working for the Coloradoan in Fort Collins. It's an excellent paper and she's an amazing reporter who is always very fair and balanced and thorough and we couldn't be happier for her. Oh, and check the link in the description for the NPR story that Saja and Karen were talking about. We'll also link the music in today's episode, which can be found on freemusicarchive.org. You can follow Saja on Twitter at Hindi. That's B-Y-S-A-J-A-H-I-N-D-I. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Chingwana Podcast. Our website is chingwanapodcast.com. We're also on iTunes, and we really want your feedback. We can see the number of y'all listening. So subscribe, comment, and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we'll be back with a new episode on July 24th. Bye.